This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Otago Access Radio, in partnership with Otago Polytech, brings you Blowing Bubbles. Blowing Bubbles brings you positive conversations with people in their bubbles around the world. How are people living their bubble lives? Working from home, keeping kids entertained, and staying connected and getting exercise. And how are these things presenting us with the opportunities to find new ways of living? Every weekday, the Sustainable Lens team of Samuel Mann, Shan Gallagher and Mara Karatai reach out from their bubbles to chat with interesting and positive people around the world. Broadcast on Otago Access Radio 105.4 FM and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz and sustainablelens.org. Bringing connection, joy, kindness and peace in the days ahead. Welcome to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. I'm Samuel Mann in Sawyer's Bay, Dunedin, and I'm joined by Mawera Karatai in Fakatani. Howdy, Mawera. Good Sam. How's it going? Good, good. So not the weather. How's it going in Mawera land? Um, it's going really good. Uh, the kids and I have been um, doing some more planting in the garden and um, just feel like that when this is all over, I'm going to be really sad because my kids are going to go back to school and, and I've never had so much fun as a mum as I have this last, I think, five weeks. It's been, it's just blown me away getting to know my kids all over again in a really different way. Is it different to the summer holidays? Yeah, really different because they can't run away. <laughs> <laughs> And it's not just us two. (laughs) It's not just us two and your imprisoned children. We are joined by Vanita D'Andrea, who's in London, I think. That's correct. Welcome. Thank you. I'm happy to be here. How are things going in your bubble? Well, you know, we're really locked down here. And because I'm over the age of 70, I won't say precisely what, how far over the age of 70, but uh, since I'm over the age of 70, they consider me to be vulnerable. And so they do not want me out at all. But um, that's been a real challenge. But um, some of us, you know, who you were radicals in the 60s, have sort of managed this in our own way. (laughs) (laughs) So, so the the bubble here has been um, pretty narrow, um, and for the first four weeks, I didn't go out at all, not once. Um, and uh, you know, shopping has been an absolute nightmare. They specified uh, times for over seventies to shop the first hour in the morning. Uh, what do they think? You know, look, we're t- we're mostly retired. We don't get up at six o'clock in the morning. You know, what's, what's with these people? They want me to shop from six, eight to nine and I've got to get in a queue at 7.30? Forget it. So, you know, that was the, the first time I did that. I got there at 7.30 and 40 people were in the queue. And it's just been a total, you know, that experience has been the, a major change in the way we operate because I would go shopping maybe three or four times a week. But now it's like, well, I've only been shopping three times in the last six weeks. And and may, and you can't get anything from deliveries either. All the slots are taken until June. So it's really, really difficult. I, I'm lucky because I have a partner who's younger and he can go out and go shopping any time, really. I can too if I want to take the, my risks. But um, that's been really a challenge. Um, and, and then the... the exercising every day I would get up and go swimming but 
now uh, I can't go to the gym, I can't go to the pool, I uh, can't ex I can go swimming. But so I've had to reconfigure how I exercise, um, and so that has changed. I now I do my regular yoga every morning at home, which I've always done, and now I'm and I had been doing one session of Tai Chi a week. Now I'm doing five, and mostly by Zoom. And one of them, uh, this is where I'm saying we sort of have uh, opened the bridges here. Um, we've one of us has uh, gone to the to the local park, and we do an early, very early morning Tai Chi, so that we aren't, you know, endangering ourselves in any way. And we wear masks when we do it. So. Uh, and and gloves, you know. And so um, I'm meeting a friend uh, who is a Tai Chi specialist, and she and I go out maybe once or twice a week uh, into open air to do it. And that's my; those are my only excursions outside of my flat. Where are you? So is it Camden? Uh, I'm in. Uh, yes, I'm in. Uh, I'm in a property that's on the Dominican Priory grounds. Uh, it was uh, converted uh, in 1997. The, the Dominicans sold off uh, one building uh, and and the grounds, and they and developers converted a, the priory into flats, and then built a purpose-built uh, section of uh, modern flats and modern uh, uh, houses, ten ten small two-story houses, and the ones uh, in the a new block, as it's called, and the houses have to be over 50 years old. So it was meant to have social housing. And the social housing was for the elderly and the elderly were over 50. So maybe that applies to you guys too. Who who knows? <laughs> <laughs> so I'm, I'm living here. And so my building has a lot at this point because the first owners came in 1997. I didn't move here till about four years ago. Those people are now quite elderly. And many of them are uh, housebound and in uh, a wheelchair bound. And so my building has a, a number of very vulnerable people in it. But the people across the, the way in the uh, converted building, they're, they're young families over there uh, because there's no restriction on age. And so we have a kind of mixed community and we have a communal um, garden, which uh, people have been doing social distancing in so that they can get outside. Now I'm fortunate enough that I have the quote unquote warden's flat because the the developers ran out of money, and so eventually they just sold off everything. <laughs> and but it still had still had to be somebody over fifty, and so I got the ground floor flat in the new block, which was the warden's flat, and it has this very small patio garden. So I've been fortunate enough to have that to go out to when the weather's been good enough, and it's been good enough, which is surprising for this time of year. Let's play the Modern Jazz Quartet, A Social Call.
So you've been socially calling people all, all around the world with a new project. Well, actually, no, they've been in contact with me. And I decided that from their contact that I would try to find a something to keep me busy in quarantine. <laughs> well, actually, I've got a book that I keep avoiding writing. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's, it's like it's three quarters of the way through, and I should probably be working on it. However, um, the, it occurred to me as I started getting messages from all my friends all over the world, just out of the blue, asking me how I was doing or telling me about the circumstances where they were with the COVID-19 situation. Um, it's it started it it kind of hit me that maybe if i put them all together it might have a, it might be a really good story um and so i started looking at all these messages text messages i messenger messages wechat messages whatsapp messages emails and um i have put them together in what i'm calling a kind of new form of poetry it's it, i think i'm going to call it the epic narrative digital prose poem now, those people out there who are studied literature are probably going to be pulling their hair out <laughs> or punching themselves at this moment because they're probably not going to imagine that's possible. But I've decided to take these words of everyone I've been who've been in touch with me and let let them speak for themselves. So everything in the poem uh, is just words from these people that I know from around the world that I've met through my consultancies and my work. And um, they're from 20 different countries, Africa, North and South America, Asia, Australia, Asia, Europe, and the Middle East, and major world cities like London and New York. So I've got some very poignant uh, messages from people, particularly in New York, uh, where that's been an epicenter. And, um, and then poignant messages from my friends in Wuhan, who uh, alerted me to this virus back in January when nobody else was taking much to pay much attention to it? So, um, and some of these messages, you know, are powerful and and meaningful, and also represent the full range of human emotion that goes with something that's this complex and and devastating. So I understand it's quite long. Like, oh yeah, it's thirty-one pages. That's an epic. <laughs> Yeah, well, but, you know, that's why I called it epic. <laughs> and it's so, got a hero, and the and the heroes are all the people in it. You know, every person writing are the heroes. The setting is large, which I'm giving you the characteristics of an epic poem here. The setting is large. It covers many nations, 20. <laughs> uh, the action is made of deeds of great valor. Requi we're requiring superhuman courage. Well, I guess being you know, put into quarantine for months at a time is superhuman courage. You know, we, we're, we're having to, to agree that this is important enough for us to do. It's good that um, our it includes it's, don't you think it's good that our superpower, that what's required of us is to sit at home? Yeah, well, and the supernatural force in it, of course, is the virus. And that's another characteristic of a epic poem. And it's written in a very special style. Well, I'm saying this is going to be very special because it's, <laughs> as far as I know, nobody else has done digital poetry before. And um, and then I, as the poet, I'm supposed to remain objective. Well, if I'm just using other people's words, I'm being very objective. And as it says, the last characteristic is they're believed to be supernatural and real by both the hero and the villain. Now, I don't know if the COVID-19 has any consciousness, but <laughs> if it does, it better take on the fact that, 
you know, there's going to be heroes here as well as that villain. And look out, there's poetry. We'll come and get you with our poetry. Yeah, exactly. If you think you're going to survive this poetry, <laughs> you're the wrong virus. <laughs> so that's where we are. Yeah, so I've I've been taking these wonderful messages from people from all over the world, and I've just felt very privileged. I mean, all of a sudden I started realizing, gosh, there have been you know, people from 10 countries and 11 guys, and then it just kept going and going and going. And I thought, well, that's worth recording, I thought. Because some people have been advised by some, I don't know, some pundits out there <clears throat> to keep a journal. Well, this is sort of my journal. It's my journal of co conversations I've been having with my colleagues and friends around the world. Okay, so can we hear some of it? Sure. Uh, where would you like to start? Which, which um, continent or country? I've got, I've got, uh, I could start with, um, well, maybe I'll start with um, the Wuhan folks, okay? They were basically, they basically were the first ones to, to know about it. Okay, so in the Wuhan people say, were, were telling me very early on, well, about the virus. But now they say, the situation in China is getting much better. Maybe next month, Wuhan will be released. Now, this came to me in um, let's see, in March. So they're saying they think that they'd be released this month, and they actually have been. Um, I personally don't think it's the right time for you to be back in China in May. The infection will not be completely disappeared by then. I prefer you stay in safety, because I was due to leave this week for, for China, for Guizhang, uh, China. So they're advising me not to go. Please remind that wearing masks is useful and essential. Don't mind other people's views. Wear your mask whenever you go to the public occasions. Wuhan has a bloody lesson from it. That was a message I thought was really important. Yeah. And then, and then her, her, her next and last statement, which was sent just this week, she said, Fighting against this pandemic made us realize how we connect with each other globally. I do think we human beings should learn a lesson from it. Hope this disaster will never happen again. So wise words from my friends in Wuhan. How about if I go to Brazil? All right. Now, this one is pretty heavy um, because Brazil, you know, has a, a leader who's not unlike the leader in the U.S., uh, which means that we're in all in trouble. So, hi, Neats. That's my nickname, by the way. People call me Neats. How are you? Around here, things are more or less the same. For me and my family, I mean. We are among those who have discovered that have been living in quarantine for many years anyway. Ha, ha, ha. <laughs> but I have been increasingly involved with the community, trying to help in many ways. So I guess I'm going to tell you a little bit about how poor Brazilian people have been trying to deal with the situation and trying to is in parentheses. For starters, we already had a huge problem with jobs. Now this situation has blown in our face. A huge number of families suddenly with no jobs at all and with nowhere to turn. Well then, after a while, our governments finally decided to do something about it and started to launch aid programs for those families. Then a second problem has become evident. Most families have no access to the internet at all. 
the information is confusing. It's difficult to gather. Then the aids are very difficult to access because people have to download apps and have to figure out how to open accounts. And most of these families have never even had a bank account. In the meantime, they literally have nothing to eat and no means to survive. I've been receiving messages from single parents asking me, complete strangers, for food donations. I have been trying to help people access these aids I mentioned. And even for me, and this woman is uh, a PhD, uh, it's frustrating because there are lots of details that they don't disclose on the general media that prevent people from getting the money or the food they need. So I'm sorry for my depressing text. It probably reflects what I'm feeling right now. You probably have seen news about our pathetic government in this moment. There are some times when I just want to disappear. Wow. Yeah. Well, you were right. That, that, one's, that one's sad, isn't it? Yeah. But the thing that's nice about that message is it's sad, but it's hopeful because there are people there who are, you know, coming forward to be helpful in their communities and trying to help people who are in need. Yeah. So it's both sad, but helpful. I've got so many, I don't even know where to go. Yeah, I mean, keep going. Um, I've, I've got, I had Asia and uh, South America. I've got another one from Chile, but I'll wait. I'll go to Europe now. Okay. Um, this is from Denmark. This is a friend from uh, Aarhus University. Aarhus University closed Thursday for at least two weeks. I have set up my home office in the cellar and are prepared for online teaching next week. The university quickly upgraded to Zoom with meetings up to 300 students. My class is only 88. Now, he asks, he adds a, another message about um, the, where things are going. That was at the beginning, and now they've gone a little further, and he sent another message. But let's wait a couple of weeks to see if the results of the planned reopening, nurseries and kindergartens and schools up to fifth grade, work out. There are lots of worried parents these days. And then he talks about his own daughter and her husband. Marlene. Marlene and Rasmus keep William, their grandson, home from nursery this week as Marlene has a holiday next week where he is all, where he can also be home. If they were to let William into nursery, we couldn't come to visit them for, for long. Kirsten, that's his wife, Kirsten's parents are both 80 plus and still living in their own home. We would not be able to help them if we visited our grandson. But everything as predicted in the article, we would hope to adopt you. The article was about the countries that are going to survive economically, and Denmark was one of them. He says, because Denmark is not as expensive as Norway, so we would be willing to adopt you. <laughs> I'd ask if they'd adopt me, since since <laughs> since the, it was one of the five countries that, uh, that would be uh, surviving economically. So that was from Denmark. So okay, there's two things I want to ask then, you about in there. One of them is the the vulnerable people, the people who are vulnerable. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's is it the same all around the world? Do you think? I mean, it, I yes. suppose biologically it is. is yes, they're yes. being treated everybody, differently. Yes, no, uh, everybody is pretty much well. At least the people communicating with me. Um, yeah, no, it's it's basically the same pattern. Um, there are interesting patterns and interesting exceptions, but mo uh, for most in most places and most people, uh, the over seventies. In some cases, it's over 65, but, you know, it's the 65, 70 range plus and anybody with underlying health issues. Though second... I got a message from, from a friend in Egypt. Uh, she is a, 
because she's a biologist and she's doing research on COVID and she's looking at, uh, she has an article called why COVID-19 kills some young and healthy people. So this is Dr. Abir Saharia. And she, um, she has sent me, an, sent me an article about some research she's done on young and healthy people who are not considered to be vulnerable. So it's interesting, you know, that people are looking at all the component variables that, uh, of the, the way the virus is, is, um, is affecting people. So that's, that's an, I thought it was interesting that her research was on the young. And she's, a, she's an, a, another colleague of mine that I've met <clears throat> through my consultancies. In fact, uh, I have another one from uh, Norway, um, my friend in Norway, who is the head of a, uh, a teaching and learning center at the University of Oslo. I've got a message from him I can read because he was thrown in at the deep end. It's okay, let's see what we got here. And I've got this beautiful poem that Jacinda put out about the, 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 the lockdown. Okay, here we go, Norway. Norway. We had been there just at the end of February in Norway to celebrate a birthday and my husband's birthday. He's February 29th. And so um, we visit our friends there then and they said, and they wrote us after we left, Norway has been pretty much closed down after you left. See if his wife is going to work as she is part of the national governance structure. She works for the national government. The kids are all at home, but trying to attend school on various digital platforms. I am trying to assist the university in transforming into digital teaching, which is a big in capital disruption for many. For the OU, things must be pretty much business as usual, I suspect. <laughs> and then, uh, and then the most recently. His last message was, good to hear from you. This morning, we are more concerned about the direction of the, from the Welcome Trust that the UK may be hit quite badly, even worse than Spain or Italy. We hope that this is wrong, but trust that you guys stay indoors and focus on making good food. We continue to stay home, but the society is slowly opening up again after Easter. Kindergarten and primary schools will reopen in March, but most people will continue to work from home. So, yeah, there's a real interesting link with the whole process and the change from face-to-face uh, -face learning to online learning. And it's like being thrown in at the deep end. Of all of the things that you've seen change, all the societal things you've seen over the last month or so, what do you think is going to stick? Boy, that's a really good question. Um, well, I think what my, uh, I think the woman in Wuhan said it best that we're going to be, we're going to recognize we're a global, we truly are a global society and that we have responsibility for each other. And that no matter what some of these leaders have done that has been antithetical to that, that, that the people as a whole have come together to help each other. I mean, there have only been a few instances of people not being supportive of, of, trying to help uh, avoid this, this uh, pandemic uh, expand and also trying to help each other survive it in as best a way as possible. Um, I think the exception to that rule with those people in the, the U.S. who are protesting the lockdowns, um, that's, that's a political, uh, that's a na narrow minority of a political activists right-wing political activists. And I, but I think on the whole, most people 
have recognized the common humanity that we share. And I think that's probably the message, especially that comes out of New Zealand from Jacinda about kindness and the, and the emphasis on kindness is in almost every message that I've gotten from people, that there's kindnesses that people are sharing with each other. And, um, and, it's, it, and, the, and the opposite of that is the exception to the rule. So I think one of the things is going to be a recognition that we're all in, we're all in this together and that we have to support each other. Bubble Sprite of the Forest of Orokanui, Dunedin's favourite goddess, Tahu Mackenzie. Kia ora koutou, na mahi aroha nui, kia koutou, ho. I hope you're all having the best day, beautiful triumphs of nature in your beloved bubbles, and I'm very excited to have more time with you today, thank you. So I thought that we could talk about something that I'm finding really helpful for myself at the moment. As we adjust and reframe and adapt and reorganize and recalibrate ourselves in this new consensus reality that we find ourselves thriving, I hope, in. One of the aspects of my experience that's really helping me at the moment is re-establishing new routines and as a species of animal connected to all other life in an infinite web we are of course part of a great network of unseen cycles and rhythms in nature that affect us every day whether we consciously acknowledge them or not and we would not be here if it were not for all the cycles and rhythms in nature that our ancestors all life on the planet have been responding to over literally billions of years. So of course these cycles of light and dark and seasonal change affect us just as much as they affect all other life. And even though we have created the human world, a wonderful tool for us to help the real world, the natural world, these cycles still come into play in our daily lives. So I am enjoying Acknowledging the sunrise at this time of year, so beautiful. Acknowledging the sunset at this time of year and doing my best to care for that aspect of myself that really connects me in so many ways to the real world, the natural world, my beautiful body. And I hope that you're all enjoying this time to really reconnect with yourself on a physical level because the hustle and bustle of our daily lives has slowed somewhat and we are in a position of power now to set routines that really support us as best as we possibly can in this new way of life. Another important aspect of my routine that I'm making sure I'm adjusting and bringing back in is my time with nature. And of course, in my role at Orokano Eco Sanctuary, I spent most of my day outside talking with people about how much I love the real world, the natural world, and all the special aspects of that world that we hold here in beautiful Aotearoa, New Zealand. So I'm making sure now that I'm building into my new routine opportunities to be outside and particularly by the water. I'm really lucky that in my bubble I have Woodhall Gardens close to me so I'm able to go down there and have some time listening to the water and the song of the water and maybe even putting my feet a little bit in the water and this means that I can really reconnect with 
that element that has been on the planet since it began endlessly recycled over and over every drop enjoyed by one of my ancestors at some time and will be enjoyed by some of my descendants at some time so a really lovely way to reconnect with that beautiful infinity that surrounds us I'm also making sure in my routine that I'm getting lots of sleep and this is really helping me in terms of refinding my emotional equilibrium when I need to and I'm also really enjoying building routines for myself and my new bubble buddies like the beautiful beloved kittens Poirot and Hastings and the six beautiful Hey Hey Nawahine Atahua at Hey Hey HQ the beautiful hens who have come to live with us and what I'm loving about establishing and maintaining these routines with them is that as we share experiences on a regular basis at the same time each day we connect on a deeper and deeper level and understand each other more and have that opportunity to really grow the love and the connection between us and this got me thinking that the importance of routines for us all is to build and maintain and grow that connection with ourselves and in this time we really have the opportunity to create a routine that works really well for us, I hope. And in this way, get to know ourselves in new ways. And really enjoy that freedom and that spaciousness that's coming with this new time where we can be a lot more self-directed and a lot more connective with ourselves. So I hope that you're all having a great day in your beautiful beloved bubbles and I'll look forward to talking with you more next time. Thanks so much, Kaki too. How do you think that we can frame the sort of the responses positively? Because we don't want to to disregard the, the disruption and the, the the you know, people are dying, but we still want to have mm-hmm. a, a, a positive outlook. Mm-hmm. How do we approach that? Well, well, I think, you know, life and death are a constant in society. We've got a period now of increased uh, difficulty because of the um, virus causing extraordinary numbers of deaths. Um, how do we deal with each other in life and death matters in any case? I mean, I don't see that this is a particularly different which is, I guess, the message that I keep hearing from um, New Zealand, that, you know, we're all, we all know how to deal with this. We just have to remind ourselves what will help each other in particular circumstances. With the virus, there are particular scientific medical um, advances that tell us and give us guidance on how to deal with this particular problem. But it's not any different than the day-to-day part that we face of life and death. You know, people are dying from things other than the virus right now. People are dying from cancer. People are dying from lung diseases. People are dying from, you know, car accidents. Uh, you know, things, things are still, people are still dying in other ways. So there's a whole range of ways that people have a life and death experience. It's just this one accentuates the problem part of that more. And so, how do we deal with this every day anyway? You know, people in our lives die and we have to cope with that and we have to figure out how to cope with that. I, I think it's just about recognizing our, 
our humanity and where we come from as human beings and the way we're all helping each other. Uh, one of the things that I saw you were going to ask me about was, did I know of anybody who was doing, um, uh, you know, community work from their bubble? And related to that is the kind of community work that I've seen that my, I'm going to, this may seem strange, but I'm going to tell you about this person who is my Tai Chi master. I'm taking Tai Chi now by Zoom. I had to quit my class with her because she moved out of the city. Now I get to have her again because she's on Zoom. <laughs> but one of the things I think that's great about this is that she has created a community that's focused on what I would call dealing with the physical and emotional challenges of being in a bubble. And she has got, um, she has, she has got people from all over the world now taking this Zoom class. She has relatives in Israel. She has friends in Norway. She has her friends here in London, where she lives down in Ramsgate. And she's, and many of these people, I would say, most of them, are the elderly. Okay, who would be alone, who would be on their own. And I wrote her a message thanking her, and she wrote this back to me. She says, wow, Vanita, what a beautiful email. I had thanked her for the Zoom Tai Chi classes. I love what you say at the end when you describe our meetings as an opportunity for meditative, physical, and emotional healing. This is exactly what was on my mind when I tried to get these meetings in place as soon as possible. I saw so many of my regular pupils in Ramsgate and Broadstairs falling quickly into a lost bewildered, anxious state of mind. Many called and emailed me in a state of confusion and despair. So I felt that our practice was more necessary than ever. Now I see what she has done in creating this community of practice around Tai Chi as the kind of thing that epitomizes what we as human beings can offer, should offer, whatever the circumstances on a daily basis or even in a crisis. I mean, this is a crisis, surely it's a crisis. But what she says there about how she, and she did, she got that Zoom class up the first week we were in lockdown. She had never worked with Zoom before. She had never done digital anything. She was very, you know, this was all new to her. And she got, what she did was she did a test with people that she had as people who she thought might be interested. She did a test series of trial, sessions for one week and after that it took off and now there's eight classes a week i think under this time of constraint that what it's actually doing perhaps firstly is that it's removing constraints that yeah. by removing the constraints of what we do on a day-to-day -day basis it's all of a sudden we've learned that community doesn't have to have physical contact and you That's talked about right. you talked about practice the practice being more necessary than ever maybe mm -hmm. by stripping away the almost the ephemera of go to the office and have these meetings and whatever mm -hmm. then it, it's about the essence of the practice yeah exactly exactly and the essence of that practice i think has got humanity at the core of it exactly precisely and this is interesting because you know with the ou they've always been everything they do is online they always have skype meetings they have very few in-person meetings at the, at the university. 
they they had a, the one thing they did was once a week go for a Wednesday coffee hour. Now, when this happened, as head of department, my husband thought, "Oh well, that's guess that's the end of that." But his but his colleagues, particularly the younger ones, said, "No, no, no, we've got to have a Zoom coffee hour." And he thought, "Well, how's that going to work?" And <laughs> and they did it, and it has been so important at creating and maintaining their camaraderie as colleagues and supporting each other uh, and finding out how people are doing because several of the, the members of that group have had the coronavirus. And so they've had to deal with it up front and personal. And they've been very lucky. All of them have recovered well. In fact, his boss had it and one of his major colleagues had it. And, and so this Zoom coffee hour has provided them the space to create, continue that community they had in person. And it has taught them, the online people, that there's even more scope for uh, community in online activities. That's why this poem is so important to me, because it's all digital. It's all digital communication. I have spoken to two of the people that have written out of these 20, but I, all of the most, most of my communication with them over this COVID situation has been digital. This is really where we are right now. I mean, I'd be the le least likely person to observe that. I mean, at my age, but <clears throat> seriously, folks, we're in a digital age now and it can work for us as well as against us. So I say, let's try to find ways for it to work for us. Just to say, I have had friends who feel like they're very confused and anxious. And that's why I think this thing from um, my Tai Chi master has been so important. South Africa. Dear Neats, I've been thinking about you and wondering where in the world you are. In London? We are all well here, working remotely, though I must say this has its challenges. Not enjoying it very much. It's one thing to work from home as a treat, another thing to do it by law. But given the state of the world, we cannot complain. And the shutdown has apparently made a significant difference in our statistics. We'll see. All so uncertain, eh? What's keeping you occupied? <laughs> now she asks. <laughs> visit A visit to your lovely neighborhood cathedral for me. That's where I would be. Because uh, on the grounds of this um, complex is the second largest Catholic cathedral in London. Yesterday, I watched Andre Bocelli uh, and in Cathedral in Milan last night. So lovely. Lots of love to you during this time. So her, her feeling was that it's okay to be locked down, but you'd like to make it your own choice. <laughs> and, it w and it is a very different, it is a very different conceptualization. So. I like that difference between treat and law. Yeah, yeah. I didn't realize it was a law and stuff. Well, I guess it is rel relatively speaking. I mean, it's technically advisory here, but the police have police powers to make you stay inside. And the my the woman that I do Tai Chi in the park with, her partner has uh, is waiting for a lung transplant, and he can't walk more than about 200 yards at any one time. But they wanted to go outside their flat, which has no outside space. And so they went for a very short walk, and they went to a bench and he had to sit down and the police stopped them and said, you can't sit here. 
And he said, well, I've got this lung problem. And they said, well, that's no excuse. You shouldn't be out of your house then. And then they took, they took them and we're going to give them a, a fine. And they finally said, okay, um, after back and forth and back and forth, I said, okay, we won't find you this time, but next time we will. And uh, at the moment, we're going to take a photo of the two of you for our Intel services. And so they, so he says, okay, then I'll put on my sunglasses. <laughs> so they both, both put on sunglasses because that makes it much harder for facial recognition. It doesn't prevent it, but it makes it much harder. But anyway, even then, you know, the, in terms of legal restrictions, they were going to be fine, even though he had this serious problem. They said, no, you, if you've got that serious a problem, you're too vulnerable. You should not be out of your house. I mean, I've got everybody in here. Let me just get down to the U.S. And in the U.S., I have it from various parts of the U.S. I've got it from, from Tennessee, the Midwest, where there have been very few restrictions and very few deaths so far, but that's changing. And then um, I've got um, California, and I've got North Carolina, and I've got Ohio, and I, you know, I've got people from all over the U.S. So we're in California now. And I'm now in Indiana. I've got one now. New York. Okay. Here's from New York. This is this is the daughter of my PhD mentor. Hi, Vanita. So nice to hear from you and that you are okay. I bet you did get the big C. Both my husband and I think we have had it. We think we had it as well, but of course, no testing for us plebeians. We are all safe in our apartment here in West 98th Street. Yes, it truly is a horror with nearly 800 dead every day for over a week now at this rate. We are fortunate that our neighborhood has a low infection rate and we can still get food, although the lines are long and patience is required. We're not supposed to go outside either because we're in the vulnerable group of over 70s. We can't even get through to our doctor's offices. We know people who have been sick and recovered. Gary's cousin died at age 73 in Ohio. He had other health issues, but mostly did not get any care. We've lost a significant amount of income. The New York City economy is as bad as it's ever been. We watch Cuomo's daily press conference and wonder how the heck things will recover, but I'm sure that they will. Luckily, we have a roof garden to take care of. We go up there every few days when the weather is warm. We're allowed to walk in the park with masks and gloves on, but that is not always pleasant due to the awareness of distancing and sensing the overall gloom. We have trouble getting home delivery on food because items are out of stock and delivery windows are not available. They cannot keep up with the demand. So we venture to go to the big stores in walking distance and wait in lines and hope we can get what we want once inside. We do that about every seven to 10 days at our local corner store. One can wait for 45 minutes just to get bananas or milk. Enough rambling. I have begun sorting through my old photo photography files and throwing out so much. I honestly don't mind the sheltering in place with the exception of what's going on outside. Sending love, Nancy. That doesn't sound like somebody living under the bestest response, does it? <clears throat> no. I, I mean, New York it. was the epicenter. It, the New York was the epicenter, you see. And, and in another message, which I won't read because it's so horror. Uh, she talks about bodies being in the street that aren't picked up because there's no place to put them. So how do you respond to that? Well, 
she, you know, it's interesting. Everybody has, I mean, her last thoughts are that she's making the best out of it as she can. And I think that's basically all we can do. You know, we're all in this together. I keep saying that. We're all in this together. And that's just more evidence that we are. And um, we just have to find ways to soldier through, as they say here. Um, we, 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 we all have to find our way through it. And as I said, I have a friend here who's <clears throat> sending me, has sent me messages. I'm sorry I haven't been in touch, but I'm so anxious and confused. And I, what I've done is sent her e-cards with good, the good vibration song from the <laughs> Beach Boys. <laughs> There's an e-card that goes, you know, good, good, good vibration. I can't sing it, but, you know, and I've been sending out the good vibrations e-card from Blue Mountain Cards uh, to everybody I know, you know, because that's what we need is good vibrations right now. It's, there's so many bad vibrations out there that we, we can counteract that with kindness and good, you know, good deeds to each other. Like my Tai Chi instructor who creates a community of practice for people who are alone and in their homes. That's how I respond. I respond by trying to find a way to be positive about it. <clears throat> I guess part of me, being Italian-American, is very fatalistic about these things. And I so therefore, I try to figure out, okay, if this is all going to happen anyway, what can we do to get through it? And we can either spiral down and go, you know, into a negative place, or we can find our way up and climb out through it with something creative, constructive, supportive of the community. And in this case, you know, I've put it into this poem which I hope if people see it and hear it, and I'm apparently the Polytechnic has agreed to publish it, and I'm going to try to create a blog of it as well. Um, if that can get out there and people can hear about each other's experiences, it might encourage them to, to realize they're not alone. We're all in this together. And if we can become, you know, just one act of kindness a day, that's all we need to create is one act of kindness a day. And if all of us do that, It'll help. It won't solve the problem, but it'll help. Moira, do you have any closing thoughts? I think that I'm going to go away and count my blessings and um, think of all the things I've got to be grateful for because while, you know, it's a lot to, to say we've all been stuck in our homes for a month, there are no bodies dying in our streets and the lines are not that long for groceries and the delivery windows are not that far apart. We're very fortunate here and I'm going to have some reflection time after this actually thinking about just how lucky I am. Thank you, Vanita. I know it's a silly song, but I, I think that I don't know how lucky we are is appropriate. It's a mess. We don't know how lucky we are, mate. We don't know how lucky we are. I was down the plough and checkbook, oh, night before last. 
guy down there on the floor with his brain at half-mast. I said, you're looking really bad, mate. Your eyes look like strings. He says, get me an eight, will you, please? I can't see a thing. We don't know how lucky we are, mate. We don't know how lucky we are. So when things are looking really bad, you're thinking of giving it away, remember New Zealand's a cracker, and I reckon, come what may, if things get appallingly bad, and we all get atrociously poor, if we stand in the queue with our hats on, we can borrow a few million more. We don't know how lucky we are, mates. We don't know how lucky we are. We don't know how lucky we are, mates. We don't know how lucky we are. I mean, it's, it, it, we, we have to really get on the bright side. Monty Python was there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, we have to get on the bright side of life. Well, maybe, you know, maybe that is where we need to be. Some things in life are bad They can really make you mad Other things just make you swear and curse When you're chewing on life's gristle That grumble, give a whistle And this'll help things turn out for the best And always look on the bright side of life Always look on the light side of life If life seems jolly rotten There's something you've forgotten And that's to laugh and smile and dance and sing When you're feeling in the dumps Don't be silly chumps Just purse your lips and whistle That's the thing Always look on the bright side of life Because it is pretty dark right now, but we just got to keep the lights shining, or well, you know, we will perish from that darkness. It will pass. The storm will pass. Yes, and then it will. A new time of lightness <laughs> will pass, and we'll build a new world, and it won't be the same as the old world. It's going to be new, and it's amazing listening to people's views of what that's going to look like. But. Mm-hmm. Nothing can stay dead forever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so there's this thing, um, everything <coughs> right in the end. And if it hasn't come right yet, then it's not the end. That's right, yeah. I love that statement. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's true in this case. Thank you very much for joining me. Oh, it's been a pleasure. You've been listening to Blowing Bubbles, positive conversations with people in their bubbles, their safe spaces around the world. Brought to you by the Sustainable Lens Team, which is brought to you by Otago Polytechnic. We're broadcast on Otago Access Radio every weekday afternoon at 3 and streamed and podcast on oar.org.nz. You can find us on Facebook as well. Hey, y'all. See? End of the film. Incidentally.
passports available in the foyer. Burning, I said, they'll never make that money back. I'm Samuel Manazoyas Bay, Dunedin, with Mawera Karatai in Fakatani, and we've been joined by Venita D'Andrea in London. We hope you enjoyed the show. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air.